This is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. It is the 14th of March. Mike McNamara back in Southern California. Yeah. So, uh, welcome. Good to be home. Yeah. But, uh, honestly, just, uh, I, I have to pinch myself some days, um, because of what I do for a living. <clears throat> I have the most incredible experiences of anybody I know, and I have them on a regular basis. And uh, and this morning I wake up to an email saying, would you, would, you, would you come back in the short term? We want to do a very quick turn and bring you back here to Germany. <laughs> I said... Hey man, I know the airport's checks cash, right? I'll uh, I'll come back. So uh, yeah, I'm like that. <clears throat> but it, uh, just a an awesome experience. Um, and and let me just tell you what's most exciting for me is you show people this path that our leaders and are, are really trying hard to do what they're supposed to do. And uh, and you, then you show them, hey, you you can do this, but this is how you got to do it. And again, it's all the product of All Marine Radio that you're listening to this morning. That this thing that I started um, in 2016 with the intent of, you know, talking about the culture of the Marine Corps, but talking about mental health. Um, and the listening that I've done on this thing. To, to all the different interviews and the true things that people have told me are what make up the post-medic winning event. And that truth will take you to a better place as an organization. And, uh, and now the coolest thing is the operational impact of when you're better, what happens to the unit? So, um, yeah. 
crazy crazy so anyway so uh yeah welcome back uh i got back on saturday late afternoon after about i don't know pretty long day of flying and time changes so i left at nine in the morning 9 40 so that means i was up probably five ish or so and uh and then flew from frankfurt to zurich no mask in zurich uh, just so you know, in Switzerland, and then and then hung out there for a couple hours, and then uh, got on a plane from Zurich to Los Angeles International Airport, where my lovely daughter Catherine picked me up. Came home, and uh, she and I had dinner, Mexican food at Hank's restaurant. Yeah, one of my favorites, and uh, chicken enchiladas with mole sauce. Mm-hmm. Hank's. <laughs> On Baker Street in Costa Mesa. Family business, too. They close at 3 o'clock on Sunday. You want to know why? So they can have dinner together as a family on Sunday night. How do you not like that? But anyway, did that, and then I think I passed out on the couch. Um, and, uh, and then yesterday, um, uh, mowed the lawn, edged the lawn, and then pulled weeds for the rest of the day. And then went to Home Depot, bought some plants, uh, bought some mulch, and gonna do a little planting today. Yeah, get my farmer on and beautify my backyard. So uh, yeah, spring in Southern California. So overnight lows in the 50s now, not the 40s. We love that. And so uh, anyway, um, we're gonna continue our open source ops, ops Intel stuff. Uh, Timmy's the only one that can join me this morning. So uh, Tim and I will we'll kind of walk you through the latest of the news. And there's a bunch of it, right? Iran, for whatever reason, they want to, they want to, again, they want to shoot missiles. And again, with the state of, of, of GPS and precision guided munitions, just know this. If you want to hit something, you can hit it. Okay. And I don't care what country you're at. That technology exists, and they own it. If they want to hit something, they can hit it. So they didn't hit anything. So it's a, it's a noisemaker. What's the point of that? Another interesting story. Uh, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor to President Biden, meets with China, his Chinese counterpart, I believe in Rome, as the United States continues to push on China. And again, if I was president of the United States, I would be telling, I want China welded to Russia. Because on the backside of this, there's going to be a few things that are going to happen. And they're going to be in the American interest, not the Chinese interest. And in order to do that, we've got to make the case. And in order to do that, we're going to, you know, we're going to weld China to Russia and this event. Because they've, they've done that. So anyway, um, that's what we'll do this morning. So let me get out of the way of that. Uh, without further notice, Tim Lynch joins me for uh, this edition of All Marine Radio, the open source ops intel update. Uh, hopefully Jeff and Will will rejoin us tomorrow, and I've got to get Grant on here too. So um, welcome home to me. Here's Tim. See ya. Joining me on this Monday morning, 
the one-third of the Mensa Brothers. Uh, that would be Tim Lynch from McAllen, Texas. Tim, uh, first of all, how are, how are things in McAllen? Uh, one of the things we've learned about McAllen is pretty – uh, pretty crazy weather swings um, for that yeah. for that far south. Normally, I would associate that for with that, you know, a little bit further north, but not so far south. So pretty uh, uh, interesting. Very cool winter. Very cool winter. I don't think on on the seven years I've been down here, I've ever worn blue jeans so much. Normally, I get a chance to wear blue jeans for four or five days in the winter when a little cold streak comes through and it's back into the shorts. And it's it's still uh, we're still into genuine mild winter weather, which is a significant decrease. Oh, it's spring break week down here too. Yeah, this kind of weather is bad for the local economy at this particular time of year. But yeah, it's still cool as hell. It's actually it's nice weather. It's just in the low 60s at night, you know, low 70s in the day. It's gorgeous. But that that down here is a cold front. Yeah, speaking of spring break, right? Uh, a headline you don't want to read. If you're a member of the uh, United States Army, is what five cadets in uh, in Florida? Um, yeah, with the fentanyl. Yeah, oh, with, man. you know we're taking we're hospitalized with fentanyl, uh, and it was it was cocaine laced fentanyl, mm-hmm. um, and so certainly a story that if you're in any way, shape, or form affiliated with that organization. And that would be West Point. Um, you cringe when you see that. And uh, but let me tell you this: um, anybody that's familiar with the urinalysis will tell you that that is the drug to do because that's the one that gets out of your system the fastest. Absolutely, absolutely true. Which is scary. And, and- which is scary that they would have that kind of knowledge. Uh, maybe not uh, unexpected because uh, certainly they're they're high end performers, right? And um, uh, so they would probably have high-end in- information about uh, about which drugs to use and which ones to stay away from. Uh, but still, uh, yeah, I think uh, I don't think any of the doses have, although two were were, were in serious condition. Um, I don't. Uh, I think I don't think anybody, as of the last report I saw, uh, had was in a life-threatening threatening situation but uh yeah yeah but well, no if if they get an antagonist into them quick enough they can they can reverse the effects that's the one thing about that fentanyl it is an opioid and opioids respond to narcan matter of fact i remember hitting people with narcan when i was an emt um riding in the medic unit and that that you generally wanted to keep those people restrained before you gave them the narcan that shit would put them over the edge quick it was it was quite the quite the Quite amazing to see, you know, unconscious to violent in about a split of an eye, blink of an eye. Well, you know, the um, I flew back from Germany. Um, I flew from Frankfurt to Zurich. Uh, Zurich, no masks. Uh, although people, you know, you still saw plenty of people wearing them. And I hadn't flown commercially, internationally, um, since before September 11th. Hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. I've flown, but it was all domestic. And then when I flew internationally, it was all with the military. Um, no customs anymore. Right? Yeah, no, it's it's, it's I, it, let me tell you, it's 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 very easy. Right. You, yeah. have, you have your passport and really all you're going through is a is a passport checkpoint. Uh, in back in the day, 
right? When you used to have to take your luggage and stand in line and you put your luggage on the table and they went through your shit and you, you had to declare stuff. None of that. Yeah. No, none of that. It was, it was, I'll tell you what, I mean, it was, it was easy. Well, that, that's what makes the, the dealing with the TSA even more frustrating. It's kabuki theater to begin with. And then on top of that, as you travel extensively overseas and you get used to getting treated, <laughs> you know, in, in, a, in a fair and responsible manner, it's, it's very frustrating to come back here because it's all. Well, I will tell you theater. this. I, I would uh, the, the security checkpoint I went through in Frankfurt, the German one. Um, I almost say they crawled up my ass, but I mean, I so I travel with um, an audio, quote unquote, interface, kind of like a mixer. So it might be a eight inch by four inch by two inch box. And uh, and so in my bag that I carry on, that sits along with a bunch of audio cables and shit like that. So, uh, you know, they, the, my, that piece is going with me on the airplane. So they, they, they flag it for somebody has to check this out, right? So now I'm standing in line waiting. And uh, they um, look at my passport. I'm an American. Where where am I going? And then they they go through the bag. And man, they I haven't had that kind of experience at TSA. But they went through it. Um, they went through it um, with a fine tooth comb, wanded it, and all the rest of the shit. And then the guy took it, took it to another machine, and looked at it. And so I, you know, very thorough. The Germans. Hey man. Hey, man, in 1983, I flew out of Frankfurt Airport with three vials or, of, of uh, media that were inoculated with salmonella paratyphoid, three different strains. They were going to use them to try to identify what was bedeviling the Marines by, you know, I would, I would culture whatever the environmental health guys told me to culture right. and then use one of the reference samples and culture that simultaneously so they would grow side by side, acting as a proof that I'm doing it correctly. And uh, the Germans didn't bat it. They found that shit. They pulled me off and said, what the hell? And I was wearing like combat boots, a pair of Levi's and a green woolly pulley because I didn't have any civilian clothes, you know? Yeah. It looked like a stoop. But they, once I explained to them what I was doing, they're like, all right, put that shit back in the bag and let me fly. Yeah. Well, you know, it was just transport media. It wasn't like, you know, anything that you could do with it. But but it was. I, I was kind of curious watching how a different country does their version of yeah. TSA. And yeah. I mean, it was it was remarkably similar. And you know, the other thing I thought was, we didn't do anything like that prior to nine eleven, right? The economic impact of that event. I mean, think of all the security apparatus at every right. port of entry for every traveler, right? And the cost of that. I mean, just yeah. I mean, just amazing. The other thing um, that I would tell you about travel is, you know, the way different baggage is handled Lufthansa in Germany you don't interact with anybody to check a bag you show up the first bag is free and so you scan your boarding pass and they spit out if you have a bag they spit out a, a tag for your luggage you uh -huh. put you put that on your t luggage you get in line to drop your bag when it comes time for your turn and it, one of these stations opens up you go over and you put your uh you put yourself on uh, your bag on this uh, conveyor belt that's stationary. It weighs your bag, right? You scan your boarding pass. It gives you like a, this thumbs up, and then it it inducts your bag 
into the system. And there's an exception if it's overweight, but if it's not, you don't talk, you don't see anybody. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's nice. all, so it's all automated and you have one dude standing in the back, like supervising things. Otherwise everything else is, uh, everything else yeah, is automated. It, it, you know, and it's the other frustrating part about the way that we do it with our, um, our, our TSA people is they're federal employees. So they're hired and paid 365 days a year. The, the Cowspell Montana airports opened maybe nine months out of the year. You know, the, the, all those Montana airports, most of them don't operate during the wintertime or they operate on a extraordinarily reduced schedule, yet that full staff is paid. It was one of those things early on that people were bitching about in the Intermountain West, which is where I was when this all started. So there's all kinds of inefficiencies in our system, which unfortunately uh, um, seem to, to only expand, never to, never to retract. Unfortunately. Well, I'll tell you what, um, I don't know how long, 12-hour flight, 13-hour flight between yeah. Zurich and Los Angeles. And uh, pretty pleasant experience, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, you have internet, you know, they feed you well. And, uh, and free too. They don't. They don't bat an eye if you want to get another vodka and tonic. I mean, it's not. It's just night and day from an American carrier. I, I, I love flying on Emirates Air, Airlines. I just loved it. I flew on uh, Swiss Air. Yeah, I bet that's nice. That's even supposed to be nicer than Emirates. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It, it was a. Uh, it was easy. And then even coming in the United States, you know, I was curious again. I didn't know. Like so, returning, um, and you're. Because your bags have been inspected, uh, they're not even, you know, you walk through this checkpoint, they scan your uh, scan your passport, look at your face, see you later, go grab your bag, and you're out. It's, but I will tell you what, it's always cool. Uh, so you, you come into Tom Pratt Bradley Airport uh, here in uh, L what LAX is known as, and, and the Tom Bradley Terminal is the international terminal. And so... You come around this corner and there's this giant American flag. Huh. Yeah, no, it's it's, and you're like, it's fucking awesome, man. It says, "Well, you know, welcome to the United States of America," yeah. and the um, but the scene you see, um, is some of these people are coming to the United States, and it has been a process that has taken a long, long time. Right, and they've got ten suitcases, and there's a you know the whole family. There's a mom, the dad, and the kids, and then you see them pushing out, and you go come around this corner, and there's all these people waiting, which is a scene you don't normally see in an airport anymore, right? People go oh, out to the true. curb yeah. and get picked up, but in the international airport, there's all these people leaning on handrails and this wall that's there that separates where the you know passengers come from, and then when you know. Somebody comes on the corner, you hear this screaming and yelling break out, right? <laughs> Normally in a foreign language, and then you see them hugging, and it's, I mean, you've got here, right? You've got to America, right? Yeah. And so, again, it's a, uh, I don't know, a scene that's been enacted in this country for a long, long time, and, and uh, it's just, it's heartwarming to see it. The American dream, you know, as, as, as they would tell you, the blue pl passport. Right. Yeah. The yeah. Blue, the blue passport is the shit, man. You bomb that blue. They could like treat you like anybody else, but when you pull out the blue passport, then they know. Oh, it means something. Oh no, when you're traveling, particularly in the third world places, an right. American citizen is a privileged person. Right. That right. don't need a lot of visas. 
my when my favorite Terp JD arrived in San Francisco, finally on a SIV visa a few years ago, there was a there there was supposed to have been a hundred or so techie type types from the the Jalalabad Fab Lab uh, um, Synergy Strike Force thing, and then about another hundred Special Forces dude from the teams that JD had worked as a young kid, and uh, I was I unfortunately couldn't make it, but but I was I saw the tape and the whole place just exploded when him and his family walked off that plane. And I just thought that was so cool. No, yeah. I mean, it is. And it's, it, you th- you see it. And um, it's a scene that's been enacted, whether yeah. whether it's been a harbor on the East Coast um, where <clears throat> this family's reunited or they finally, you know, got to America. They're now here mm-hmm. and, and going to create a new life. So yeah. anyway, just again, scenes from traveling internationally. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff has uh, has been going on in Ukraine. So, to me, why don't uh, you start, um, and then <clears throat> I'll uh, I'll update the operational stuff for Jeffrey, okay. who's uh, working this morning, and then uh, and then there's a couple of interesting economic pieces to this, um, uh, one out of Russia and one vis-a-vis China, uh, and we'll talk about that. So, um, so go ahead. Okay, well, let's start a little bit further uh, adrift, and that is over the weekend, we had a, uh, a series of rockets um, slam into Erbil, and to include, apparently, uh, uh, the American base that's up there. I didn't get whether it was an air base or some kind of a diplomatic thing, but there was about a dozen ballistic missiles that uh, hit the U.S. consulate, airfield, whatever, and that's just interesting. It's more uh, uh, more friction to deal with on the international uh for, the, for our, our team of, of international security experts, of whom one of them, Jake Sullivan, is traveling today to uh, Italy to meet with his Chinese counterpart. And he's there to warn him, uh, this is a quote, absolutely, there will absolutely be consequences for large-scale sanction evasions in supporting the Russians by backfilling their weapons. Uh, Russia has claimed they haven't asked for any of that. He also says uh, that he's there to warn, warn him of Chinese spreading disinformation that could be a pretext for chemical or biological weapons attacks launched by Putin's forces. This is the second time we've heard all this about chemical biological uh, weapons attacks. And if and if the trend proves true for this particular exercise of us unmasking intel by saying things like this ahead of time, that might indicate that we've got strong indications of chemical or biological weapon use uh, is being being thought of i don't know but that's that would be what you would conclude um which leads us to hey let, let me ahead. just uh, 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 and i want to come back to this the the thing with iran right that's where those weapons came from right mm-hmm. um <clears throat> we got information i believe from the israelis that the iranians were going to attack a base this is what three or four months ago right and they did Right, and I don't rightly recall any American retaliation. I don't I recall do any. Either. I don't recall reading about any high-level meeting with the ambassador to. Do we have an ambassador to from Iran to the United States? I don't know, where they were called in, or somebody was called in, or you know, in Switzerland we met with somebody to tell them. So again, this aggression met with what indifference and weakness. So we're trying to cut a deal with the Iranians. So we. We're not going to tell them, you know, don't fucking do this stuff. I, I again, 
weakness begets conflict. Oh, without we're we're, we're looking so, at it in real time, right? And so, to me, what's the response to how many missiles did you say? I I I wrote in a dozen. I don't know that I pulled that out of the uh, paper or out of out of my finger splits and feel. But I believe I read a dozen somewhere, and I put it in my notes as such. Got it. There's a, more than one, that's for sure. Got it. Okay. Anyway. And, and, go ahead. and speaking of more than one missile, uh, the the air base near Liev, Liev that got hit, that was once home to the Florida National Guard, now currently home to some of these uh, uh, volunteer uh, volunteers flooded into the area, that was a multiple missile strike. I saw some footage of a guy walking around after, this, after it had hit. And um, that was a considerable strike, too, of guided uh, um, um, large missiles. And just as a coincidence, maybe not, this weekend in uh, the, the Wall Street editorial page uh, floated, floated the idea that NATO should guarantee Lev's status as a free city, just like it did in post-war West Berlin in 48, and, and, and put troops in there. That's just a little marker there for, again, Longer this draws out, the the, the chances of, of us piling in there, unfortunately, I believe, are still high. Yeah, but and, let me ask and, you this: We were in Berlin, <clears throat> right? Right. We're right. Not, we're not in. No, no, it, it's not. It's it is not. In any I know, so it's not apples to good, apples, right? A good analogy. No, it's not apple. It's apples and oranges. Right. But this is the Wall Street Journal editorial page, and right. you know, and and so that's that is what gives me pause for concern. Little bit of uh, of uh, over the weekend, um, uh, lots of reporting on this nuclear power situation with the Russians grabbing a couple of these nuclear power stations. Apparently, apparently, um, that's like printing gold for for Putin, in that he now has control of of the the spent fuel rods, which used to be reprocessed in Russia, but since I think 2007, an American company, Holtec who's a designer and maker of dry storage canister technologies, has been storing all that fuel for the Ukrainians who have apparently 15 nuclear reactors operating in, um, I guess, four different plants. So all these nuclear reactors that have been, uh, that are active have been switching to whole tech for storage, as well as another uh, um, American company for running and maintenance of these things Whereas before, they were always serviced by Atom Store Export, which is owned by Rostadam, which is basically Russian. So part of this part of this thing with the with the nuclear reactor stations is Russia is gaining assets that it's probably going to take and reprocess uh, so it can use again. And, and it's also sh- obviously short shift in this 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 takeover of the nuclear energy sector by American companies. Um, I, and I just found that to be interesting. So what's also interesting is uh, in the Ukraine, it produced for a lot of years the gas turbines for Russian Navy ships, the gas turbines for Russian helicopter engines, and other high-tech components of Russian weapon system systems, which may explain why the Russian army seems to be operating in the same manner as it did in 2014 without any kind of a of a modernization to either their their uh, force structure or equipment, and that is that they just go ahead and do do a, a thunder run uh, into the country, as in 2014, expecting everybody to run, and this time they didn't run, and their ability to get more 
high-tech uh, uh, um, systems into the fight seems to be degraded by the fact that Ukraine was a very important producer of some of that high-tech equipment, and that I did not know. Also, what I did not know is Ukraine is the international destination for surrogate mothers, and there are now hundreds of surrogate mothers that are trapped behind the fighting. Another article out of the Wall Street Journal that uh, that uh, um, traced a, a few of these families that are freaking out because their babies are being born in a war zone. I quite frankly don't think that's going to have a whole lot of traction. I just didn't realize that Ukraine was such a uh, uh, was such a big player in the surrogate mother market, nor that the surrogate mother market was that huge, but it apparently is. Um, also interesting from the New York Times, we got our first look into some of the foreign legion folks. Americans specifically fighting in the Ukraine when the Wall Street Journal Journal followed Bikin Zakuri, who's a 27-year-old Army vet, who, quote, thought that uh, fighting in Ukraine would, would be, this is a quote, this is my chance to play high school football again, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, he was brought into the country, issued an AK-74, 120 rounds of ammunition, and sent right into Kiev, all in about six hours, uh, where he started texting his friends about the lack of support, the fact that he has no anti-armors, the fact that the Russians are right over the thing. So he lasted on post eight hours before he abandoned his post and started heading back to Poland. He signed a contract with the Ukrainian army for the duration of the conflict. That's the deal, according to Stars and Stripes. So I don't know what the uh, Ukrainians are doing. Uh, Ukrainians are obviously not doing anything about deserters yet. But that, that is something to consider as you look at this, this uh, international response. There's also apparently a high-speed sniper from Canada who showed up, who I'm sure is going to be a little bit more reliable than Mr. Zakuri was, because that guy just seemed to be a total uh, a dumbass. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm looking at more and more and more. more oh, okay, Western nations get along. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking at... Ah! I'm looking at a... At a uh, um, an editorial from a guy by the name of Hood, who was a um, an advisor to Mike Pence, 2019 to 2021, and what he's advocating is again is that we ins- we insert more people into the western part of Ukraine to uh, to stop and short circuit what Putin's doing in, in, as far as uh, the Ukrainian uh, widening the war. He feels that we should be, and this is the second Wall Street Journal editorial saying this. He feels we should be in the Western Ukraine right now. And that's from the Republican uh, Pence side of the aisle. And and again, I'm just putting this under what I've been saying from the very, very beginning, which is the longer this goes on, the chances of us getting involved get to be uh, uh, kind of uh, kind of bigger. And that strike on that, on that Lviv airfield, it killed 35 people. You can probably assume there's some Americans or possibly some Europeans uh, in there now. Uh, also, and on the Russian side, Russian prosecutors are warning Western company of seizure of assets and arrest of, of their, their personnel. There's like 350 foreign companies that have n- now are pulling back in some way, shape, or form. I can remember back during the great uh, uh, Afghan attempt of the Afghan government to, to actually collect taxes from companies operating then, they threw a bunch of retired colonels and such into Polacharki mostly British, a couple Americans. Dyncor had a colonel in there, um, and they sat in there for a good, uh, I don't know, five, six days until uh, a copious amounts of money were, were paid to get them out. 
There's nothing stopping the Russians from grabbing Westerners and throwing them in the clink. And uh, that's something they have not done, but something that they're warning to do. And, um, you know, along the line of, uh, of, of uh, our involvement in this thing is, is there's a line I've been wanting to float in here for days. I haven't had a chance to, but now I think it's apropos. And that is the thing about history. We always think of it as happening to others, but until it comes for us and history is not come for us yet, but uh, it, the, uh, the, the headlines do not augur well for continued um, uh, staying out of this damn thing, you know? And I, wanna, I wanted to make one observation because I've been, I've been hammering the administration response and I heard, I was reminded of something that I, I had heard from Dewey Claridge, who was the, the CIA guy who did the Iran-Contra thing. And I met him uh, in conjunction with my Afghanistan adventures. And I asked him about Iran-Contra and he said what had happened was they were set up for a battalion of about 600 dudes. And, and he, he goes, I went, I set it up, I came out of the country, I came back, we had 3,000, then we had 6,000, then we had 10,000 and no way of supporting them, thus the, 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 the weapons to Iran for money thing to run that thing. And he, and he said something which I've heard in print and other places about Reagan and what Reagan told him. Because Dewey said, you know, with a with a battalion of Marines or two, we could clean this up right now. And what Reagan said is, I will never send Americans to fight in Central America or South America or Africa. I'll never do that. But I don't want anybody else to know that. And and that was sort of what I've been working at with our response. I'd like to I would like to see less of this definitive, not one inch of NATO territory will be violated, followed by a we can't do a no-fly zone, man, it's World War III. That kind of equivocation makes me very nervous. And I would much rather see something akin to what Reagan's philosophy is, which is, you don't know what I'm going to do. Although, in, in, uh, we now know, we would, we would know then, he had no intentions of ever sending Americans anywhere. Um, as a Beirut vet, I find that a bittersweet story, by the way. But that was... Uh, that was that was something I think was apropos to kind of highlight what I've been talking about this entire time, which is our, at the strategic level, a more sustained, calmer. Um, yeah, and I, I, again, I disagree with you. I mean, yeah, to I, me, I the I difference is nuclear weapons. No, I, I understand. And, I understand and, and again, you want to fuck around and say, you know, Lviv's Berlin? That's bullshit. It's not. Lviv no, is not. a city in Ukraine, right? It mm -hmm. is across a, a, an international fucking border with nato right and that line has 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 consequences and so if you want to if you want to say well we should find a way that again the no fly zone and all this other shit you know the un would have to enact it the world would have to embrace it and then they would have to find a way to fucking execute it right right and and no, that I'm, would I'm, that would I'm be the only that would only that. be the only pretense because you know all this killing and shit you know is 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 what it is but if all of a sudden he decides to fucking level a city of a quarter million people just to send everybody a fucking message, he'd do that without... Now, do you want to risk that? Do you want to risk that? And and again, I, he's, I, he, he will fail in Ukraine. He does not have the ass to do what he's trying to do. He just does well, not. He's already failed. He, yeah, he's already right. failed. And I want to make, and the make, question make is, sure... The question is, in terms of the things we're talking about, is he's now gr grasping at China to pull them into the hole that he's created for Russia. And there's no fucking way China's going into that hole. 
And, right. and the United States, though, is doing its best, right? Jake Sullivan meeting today, yada, yada, yada. You know, you saw stories uh, appear late last week that Russia is asking China for military assistance, right? And so that is, you know, we talked about this narrative when we talked about our, you know, if I was the president of the United States, I would say this is my, we would use this, you know, to paint China for what they are and then which will lead the way to this, 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 and this, which all will be in in the American strategic interest. And so, to, but to me, the thing that makes this all different is, you know, Vladimir Putin in, in a is getting cornered like a rat, okay? And now you saw uh, there's been stories that have come out over the weekend um, about the number of either military folks, intelligence folks that he's begun to arrest because of the performance of the Russian military. Um, now, again, I, God only knows that that stuff's true, but you see more and more of them. It's not just one or two stories. You see a whole bunch of them now. Mm -hmm. And so to me, um, as he fails, knowing what's at stake for him personally, would he not just completely say, fuck it, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to play every card I have, and you know, and, and I will shoot tactical nuclear weapons in order to keep NATO out of there. Yeah, I, I, I want to make perfectly clear that I'm not advocating any of those things. I, I have from the very beginning said, we've got to do what we can to stay out of this, because Putin's lost. That what, whatever he was trying to do in, in, in Ukraine, he's failed. And, and, and it's just a matter of time before we see what that failure manifests itself as, whether he gets a little piece of terrain. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how this ends. My concern has always been us getting involved in it, and I'm not a proponent of no-fly zones. I'm, I'm, I'm all about giving up weapons and things like that. But I, my biggest concern has been as long as this drags out, the more it seems there's chances for us to get involved in this damn thing. And I don't want to see that happen at all. No. And, and let me tell you, I, I think um, not only, I think NATO has done a good job at, and again, people are, people have problems with, with the F6, the Polish F16 thing and whatnot. But what you're seeing is that simply wasn't done in conjunction. That wasn't an American decision. That was in consultation no. with our, our allies and saying, does this get us into this thing? Because, again, if it's one, it's all, right? And so to me, the one thing I think that NATO has done, and the United States certainly part of these discussions, is, um, is to make sure that we try not to encroach too much on that line. Now, we have, we have evidently been pumping. And, again, I don't know shit, okay? But I do know the amount of C-17 activity that I, that I saw going in and out of Ramstein. That's a good indicator. And I don't know if that's above normal, below normal, or what. But from what I saw and my hotel, beautiful hotel, by the way. So you, you have the airfield. Across the street from the airfield is this nine-story hotel. Mm. Beautiful. And again, head of... Huh. Head of um, NATO, all NATO air forces in, in Europe, is that Ramstein? Ramstein? I don't know what, what you say, Steinstein. But um, <clears throat> I thought Steen was German and Stein was 
Is one of them is Jewish or yeah. one of them is German? I can't. Yeah, Epstein. It, it, turns out, it, it, it turns out those kind of rules that we live by all our lives don't turn out to be accurate. Wow. Yeah, Shit. sorry. Yeah, I know. That's all right. That's all right. Um, so, a- again, um, we've seen stories that have said NATO pushed 60 million of aid from August to November. They pushed 350 million uh, worth of military aid inside of two weeks. Right. And so right. we so we've seen that. So to me, there is a up to the edge. But again, the nuclear the weapon thing with Putin there, that's a problem. That is an absolute problem. And so um, but I agree with you. I mean. The fact that we would watch this, and we, I was talking about, this is like watching, you know, Hitler going to Poland or Czechoslovakia, you know, or, but it's not, you know, as we quite, quite rightly pointed out historically, because those were, those were military battles. Those were military fights. You didn't see what, you, what we're watching now, which is one nation's military attack a population. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Even the Russian-speaking northern part of the country—they're not accepting other Russians and haven't been from day one. So, yeah, you're—that's a—that's another one of those little inconvenient facts. You know, he's there to save the Russian speakers. The Russian speakers want nothing to do with them, and they're still protesting, as they are in, in Russia now with blank signs, and they're still getting arrested. The um, yeah, yeah. So let let me go through some of the uh the military headlines and then uh and then there's a couple economic things that we can talk about timmy um mm-hmm. so I've, I've taken to uh the uk's ministry of defense puts out a thing and i think it's pretty good um and here it is um more than 2.5 million refugees have been forced from their homes as a result of president putin's attack on ukraine uh, to indiscriminate Russian shelling and air attacks are causing widespread destruction. The UN have reported that there have been already been 1,663 civilian casualties since the Russian invasion began. Now, I think what they mean is civilian deaths, not casualties, because the casualties would be in the tens of thousands. Yeah, right? you would think. You would think. Yeah. Right. As with previous estimates, the true figures are likely to be significant higher and will continue to climb as long as the Russian operation continues. The um, Russian and Ukrainian negotiators held a virtual meeting as Ukrainian officials hinted at progress on talks. A priority of the meeting was efforts to provide assistance and facilitate the evacuation of hundreds of thousands of civilians from Maripol and other besieged cities. And again, as we talked here, um, it's a besieged city. These mm-hmm. cities have histories, right, that these people grow up on, and they've never surrendered these cities, ever. Okay, and that's the background of this. And so, uh, and then we've talked about as a military problem, it's one thing to surround a city. It's quite another thing, right, to go inside it and begin to do the fighting if you want to own that thing. Okay. And so you're you're seeing the the Russian solution on a daily basis, and that is to rubbleize the city, right, hammer the civilian population, and, uh, and make the costs extremely high. 
China dismissed U.S. allegations that Russia has asked it for military equipment and economic support. The White House has warned that direct military support or large-scale efforts to help Russia evade economic sanctions would have consequences. President Biden's National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, as Timmy alluded to, was meeting with China's top diplomat, Yang Jeki, in Rome today. Uh, Kiev was hit by heavy artillery strikes on Monday morning. And again, expect to see this every day until it ends, right? Because the Russians can't go in there, right? And they may fuck around in there a little bit. You may see, oh, this unit, you know, penetrated this part into the city. Um, but, you know, they they just don't have, again, 3 million people in Kiev. Okay. <laughs> that, that's yeah. crazy. Kiev was hit by heavy artillery strikes on Monday morning after days of severe fighting in the suburbs. One projectile struck an apartment building, blowing out windows and causing a fire. At least two people died. Fighting damaged the 16th century monastery and cave complex that is highly revered in Orthodox Christianity. Uh, it is a site for both believers in Russia and Ukraine. The um, If you look at the latest on the war maps, um, this is, again, day number 19. In the north, right, again, these cities have not fallen. Chernihiv, right, is is at 12, is, is almost 12 o'clock from Kiev. It is the biggest city closest to the border in the north. It has still not fallen. Kharkiv, right, so from Kiev, it's at 3 o'clock. Kharkiv, still not fallen. In fact, there's reports that there's been counterattacks by the Ukrainians in the vicinity of Russia, in the vicinity of Kharkov, that have gone all the way to the Russian border. And again, problem for the Russians now. You have to secure your lines of communication. Okay? You have to secure your... Um, and, um, and so then that takes troops away from your frontline fighting because you've got to escort... So the next question is, okay, well, why don't they just get an airfield and fly their shit in? Because of the stinger problem they have, okay? Mm -hmm. So you can see this problem is not getting e easier for the Russians as they extend their lines of effort. So so that going on. If you go to um, from Kiev, right, down uh, at about 4 o'clock on the border is a city called Luhansk. It has still not fallen. If you go towards five o'clock, it's Donetsk. It's still not fallen. Maripol surrounded, being hammered. The mayor kidnapped or captured, however you prefer, right? It has still not fallen, right? Kyrgyzstan is the only uh, Ukrainian city to have fallen. And then Odessa, although we see stories that the Russians are coming for it, still not, right? Mm -hmm. Still not. And again, you can surround it all you want. Now what? Now what? The, um, go ahead, Timmy. Let me ask you a question. Imagine uh, back in 2003, the march up, you're three weeks into the Iraqi thing, and still there's no solid reporting at the point of contact from the front lines and whatnot. The, this lack of, of coverage of what the hell's happening, where the conflict is, um, I mean, as as it, I, I I would think Look, that Americans I, I've would heard love you, I, that I, I've heard you say this, but so what what are you saying that this is this is I, somehow no, no. an imaginary event? No, no, so no, no, what? No, no, no. So I'm, so, just, I'm just perplexed that that what we see 
is not any kind of definitive reporting about what the hell's happening. How the hell are the Ukrainians doing this? What is the fighting like? What are the casualties like and whatnot? Just the kind of standard reporting that we would expect from journalists covering a war. And that's that's my yeah, only Yeah, point. but when we talk about journalists covering the war, what are we talking about? Journalists covering American conflict, right? Yeah, and that one, and, and we, that we, one I guess it's the embedded journalists. We made right. it easy for them. We, yeah, no, I, I we, get and, that. Let me tell you. If you, and again, I would tell you the difference is, so you're going to compare and contrast the way you get ex- treated when you're an, an American journalist or foreign journalist embedded with American troops, and now you're going to show up and you're going to go uh, be embedded with the Ukrainians with all, well, with all rights there and to pertaining. What would they tell you? Look, man, if you want to hang out with us, fine, but we don't have shit for you. We're working yeah. on and living on a daily basis, you know, so we, you know, if you hang out with us, you know, you'll hopefully you'll be safe. Right. But you're not going to come and go from this area. You're going to be isolated. So I, I think that the the problems of, of journalism are, are are huge because this is not like what most journalists have seen when they embedded in Afghanistan or they embedded in Iraq. And you are literally where that was not that was more a business decision than a life or death decision. I would tell you as a journalist that if, if you go in bed with the Ukrainian forces, that's a life and death decision right there. Yeah. So no, no, I, I, I get that. And we and there was a journalist killed over the weekend, a former New York Times guy who yeah. apparently using his old credentials to, to but he was doing a film focusing on refugees, which is uh, all right, fine. Um but yeah, I, I, I get that. I, I just was wondering how much you would have loved to have the similar situation. I mean, I would think that we would have loved to have that same kind of uh, of lack of scrutiny at the very, very front. Well, I'll tell you a story about that, which is interesting. Yeah. And this is during the, the first Battle of Fallujah, okay? Uh-huh. So <clears throat> we're the first Marine Division, one map, is you know invested around and the question is would we lay siege to fallujah and so and this is kind of in the late spring early summer of 2004 Mm -hmm. and then muqtada al-sadr goes down to najaf the holy city right and then uh, first battalion fourth marines i can't remember which mu it was they um they come ashore as the ground combat element of that Mew, and, and they head to Najaf to fight Sadr and the Mehdi Army. Is that what he called it? Uh, Mahdi. Mahdi yeah, Army, Mahdi. right? Uh-huh. So, so they, go, they go down there, and they be, and do you remember John Mayer? Yeah. John, yeah. Yeah. He, John Mayer taught, he'll do. Yeah. John Mayer taught with us at the base school. All of a sudden, yeah. <clears throat> he was a battalion commander. He comes rolling into Ramadi one night and to meet with General Mattis and, and Colonel Dumford and General Kelly. And, and all of a sudden, he walks on the corner. He goes, Hey, Mac, what's going on? I'm like, Holy shit. No man. shit. So you see your friends like in this. So again, so now the media solders down there and there's a big fight going on in the Shah. And all the media leaves Fallujah. And we asked, we started asking a philosophical question. If you would, if you destroy a city and nobody reports it, 
did you <laughs> did you really destroy it? Because yeah. we had AC 130s going Winchester over, which is out of ammunition, out yeah, of yeah. Fallujah, and and we did this for days. And the first time it happened was an accident, um, and they turned into artillery raids and 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 supporting arms raids. But the first time it happened was. Uh, LAR guys, and I can't remember who they were, were delivering prisoners to Camp Fallujah during the fight. And right. they there's a clover leaf at Fallujah. Well, they, they took the wrong ramp, and they wound up going into the city. Ooh. So we have drones up, and all of a sudden, this fight starts, and there's guys running from everywhere, right, to get, a, get shots at these guys. And we're watching that with drones, and, you know, they pop smoke and they fight their way out of it. And like, whoa, geez, someone needs to put a better sign up for that. And so, um, but somebody says, hey, we need, we need to put up an air stack from hell, AC-130s from hell, and we need to do this deliberately. And as they move into their positions, we will lay the wood to them. So the first one happened accidentally. And then our, I think it was RCT-1, um, they start planning these things. And, oh, my God, you should have seen it. And there was virtually yeah. no reporting on it. At yeah. night. And, and, I mean, just absolutely laying the wood to the whole city and destroying it and, and whatnot and destroying different sectors of it. And, and zero publicity, what, exactly what you're talking about. And you're looking around going, Wow. <laughs> this this is how it, this is how it used to be. Yeah, no shit. Because you know, I mean, when they when the reporters were there, everything you did got covered, right? With all these different, you know, Richard Engel standing in front saying, "Reporting live from Fallujah with First Marine Division." This is Richard yeah. Engel. You know, they're and they're and they're reporting on what you're doing, not specifically, but generally what's going on. And so, it's a little bit different when you don't, when you're not covered like that, and in, in which we are in in the modern world so yeah yeah man that's it that was the, that was if the you destroy was... a city and it's not reported in the news do you actually destroy it the answer yeah. to that the answer to that is yes yeah well guess it depends who you're asking right <laughs> <laughs> the um i want to talk about kiev real quick um if you if you look at the tactical map of kiev uh, you see a Russian effort coming from about two o'clock, right? Which has been the second pincer, the one that's been northwest of the city in the areas of Buka and Irpin, that we've seen so much fighting. And then those are those are you know outside of, far well outside the the city proper, um, but been a huge fight going on up in Irpin. And so mm -hmm. um, so, but again, uh, that that fight can continues and we talked about uh you know russian missiles targeting a factory that makes the antonov aircraft uh at an airfield you know 10 kilometers outside the city center on sunday fighting continued in the western suburb of Irpin. and again Irpin is not if you look at maps it's not physically connected to kiev so that's and they've been fighting there for the better part of if this is in the 18th day, you know, as soon as they got there, that's where the first fighting, you know, um, right. For they yeah, were trying to evacuate civilians right. out of there oh, about 10 days ago. Right. They were in the right. Yeah. The 40 mile, the, the infamous 40 mile Russian convoy, um, 
has dispersed. I think you you mentioned this like last week, Tim. Uh, and but I, I also I also said that they had been flooded out, and that report appears to be wrong. I did not see anything about that in any other reporting, and that's just another one of these things. As we blindly try to search for what's relevant, sometimes we're going to be taken in by shit that looks like it's relevant, but was based on nothing. And so I just right. wanted to point again, out that. I, you know, the, the world was fascinated by that column. Will rightly pointed out that that yeah. his his battalion had three 20 mile convoys right um right. anyway um but this thing is now dispersed for its own survivability and uh evidently more rockets and artilleries uh units uh in that dispersion have been able and again that may be a function of getting finally refueled All yeah right, right? Well, they had they had to they stay there long enough they're going to be picked apart i mean obviously the city is bracing itself for a ground assault with ukrainian forces and volunteers building new defenses and creating barricades on major routes to slow any Russian attack. Russian forces again held off attacking northeastern Kiev. Now, this is a second effort on Sunday, instead focused on reinforcing the lines of communications and logistics routes, according to the Institute for the Study of War. Right. Um, so, yeah, if, if you look at uh, the ISW or the Institute for the Study of War, they have some pretty interesting products up and mm -hmm. they do pretty good work let me just uh um and here's here's a an uh an assessment from them it seems like another day where russian forces have been regrouping ukraine's armed forces continue to note fighting in Izium in kharkov as well as russian separatists push for it's a suburb of luhansk on the institute for the study of war map they have started to note a reported Ukrainian counterattack counter near the city of Kharkiv, likely to prevent it from being encircled. Ukraine's armed forces site also indicates that Russian is likely to make a renewed push into Brovery in Kiev's eastern suburbs on the eastern bank of Dnieper, and that an amphibious assault on Odessa was possible this week after bad weather canceled plans to do so last week. So ISW, the Institute for the Study of War, they have a, a, a pretty good, I mean, a pretty detailed map that they update all the time. And in it, you can see Kiev, you know, has been mainly for the last, I don't know, probably 10, you know, 12 days been approached from the Northwest. You can now see that, you know, a second pincer coming at it from essentially the east-northeast, uh, which would be east of northeast for those of you who pay attention to compasses and shit like that. Um, <laughs> the because um, we do. Um, so you, you see that effort. But again, uh, the story continues to be, uh, no matter how you rack and stack this, the uh, the tenacious fighting of the uh, of of the Ukrainian military. Mm -hmm. Right. So so that's one story. Um, let me just go through. Uh, events of the last um, events of the last like few hours uh, as of March 14th Russian troops have seized only one Ukrainian regional capital Kyrgyzstan they are also trying to enter Kiev Chernihiv Sumy Kharkov Mykolaiv and Maripol um, you speculated about this Tim Dutch foreign legion fighters wounded in a Russian missile attack in western Ukraine and yeah. here, there's a spokesman 
told uh, the Daily Telegraph that it was clear that Dutch people were killed in the attack. So, um, so that in the news. The um, again from Reuters, Ukraine says it has begun hard talks on a ceasefire, immediate withdrawal of troops, and a security guarantee with Russia. As of today, um, another story from Israel breaking. Israel announces publicly for the first time it will comply with international sanctions against Russia. Their foreign minister Lapid says, quote, Israel won't be used as a means to bypass the sanctions on Russia. So interesting. Yeah. So they're, they're, feeling, uh, they're feeling a little bit of heat. This morning, um, in terms of, again, uh, Germany was nine hours ahead of us, uh, of me, so it's zero six um, uh, on the on the west coast. So I would say that what Ukraine is probably plus eleven, something like that. So mm -hmm. late in the day, President Zelensky has informed the Council of Europe that he is now unable to address them given urgent matters in Ukraine. So that happened here in the last couple hours. From the Associated Press, U.S. intelligence officials say Putin is projecting anger for, and frustration at Russia's military failures and a willingness to cause more violence and destruction in Ukraine, implied as by targeting civilians. They say they worry he'll escalate the conflict to try to break Ukraine's resistance. Yeah. Earlier, um, I think a few days back, I had mentioned that uh, – um, the, the president of Belarus had was adamant that his forces are not involved in a fighting, which I thought would indicated that they're already there, but apparently not. I've, I'm reading again from that uh, from that ISW article, their their update, that um, Russian planes have taken off from Ukraine, excuse me, from Belarus, flown around Ukraine for a while, came back over Belarus and started bombing the town of Kopani. And the Ukrainians say that there are going to be more bombings like this by the Russians in an attempt to make it look like a false flag and, and draw Belarusian forces into the fighting. And uh, that was meant by Lukashenko saying that there are foreign mercenaries moving into Belarus that are going to try to draw them into the fighting. This is all very interesting. Apparently, Belarus is not uh, cooperating nearly as much as one would have thought for a, uh, a client state. So there's, there's all kinds of stuff happening here. We haven't even talked about the 16,000 Syrian fighters who may or may not show up on the scene. I can't imagine yeah, I the found, hell good they're going to do. Yeah, I found that a little, I don't know. Yeah. I thought yeah, that it's was like, a little bit odd. It's like minus, it's minus 10 up there, man. What are you going to do with Syria? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, so this is all interesting. I want to add that I watched, there was a, there's a, a piece of film that it, that I first saw on Vice that has been all over the internet, which looks like a patrol that goes out and engages the Russians, and kind of parroting what I said earlier, you're you're looking at this patrol, and virtually every one of them is carrying some kind of anti-tank rocket with them, be it the RPG series, the N-Law, the the uh, I think they had at least one of uh, one of ours, they're they're uh, with them. And what you noticed about that whole damn thing was there was no patrol organization. There was, I could not detect who a patrol leader was, security element, assault element, all the things that we would normally task organize. Instead, it looked like a bunch of armed guys with rockets slung over the bank 
who literally blunder into the Russian lines and get involved in a very close firefight that's, you know, it looks like they're about 100 meters separating each other. Again, not the most proficient infantry action I've ever witnessed. And I was absolutely flabbergasted by the amount of extraordinarily expensive and sophisticated anti-armor uh, anti rockets of various makes and models they were they were carrying with them, which it, it indicated to me a lot of pushing forward of supplies to guys who may or may not to use it. It didn't it it wasn't as organized as I think the Ukrainian military has to be if they're operating at this level. It's once again, it's just films of what apparently are volunteers or territorials, and they're just not organizing themselves to be effective given, of course, the effectiveness of those weapon systems. Are yeah, but we, which is not surprising to anybody. Yeah, right. I know. It's I mean, just, it's, it's, it's great, great fanfare, right? Not so much yeah. bang for the buck, right? If you, yeah, if, if, yeah. If you, the best thing to do those guys with those guys is to organize them and to give them to an active unit and, exactly. and say, look, yeah, good luck. Yeah, where they have some structure. Yeah. But, but it, it, it's, one, it's one of my constant refrains. It's hard to train good infantry. It's it's incredibly yeah. hard. Let alone when and, they, and let so, alone when they walk off the streets and they show up in a foreign country yeah. and now they're gonna now they're gonna be somebody. And again, they're inch, they're they're used to fighting. You know, most of them with you know pretty high powered uh, NATO nations, and uh, and not what you're gonna get over there. You're gonna be isolated. You're gonna be you know you're gonna be in a different very different situation. You're not gonna have the supporting arms that you know we we. We grow up having so. Let me read you a few tweets relative to China. This, these are from Edward Wong. He's a diplomatic correspondent for the New York Times. Um, Russia asked China for military and economic support after Putin began his full-scale invasion of Ukraine, according to U.S. officials. Right then, he talks about Jake Sullivan. Number two, the Biden administration is seeking to lay out for China the consequences of its alignment with Russia. Some U.S. officials argue it might be possible to dissuade Beijing from ramping up its assistance to Moscow. Xi may not want to further enmesh himself with Putin, they say. Three, some, some U.S. officials are looking for ways to compel Xi to distance himself from Putin. Others see Xi as a lost cause and prefer to treat China and Russia as firm partners hoping that might galvanize policies and coordination among them, Asians and European allies to contain them. Yeah, to me, that would, that's, I don't, if you think you're going to, why would you, you consider Xi an ally? I mean, I, I don't I, have I mean, any idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, it's like the folly of yeah. that. What are those Wall Street's emissaries to the American government? Um, number four, a U.S. official told, us, the Russians, also asked China for greater economic assistance to help them blunt sanctions imposed by Western powers. U.S. officials were watching closely for any such moves by Beijing. Sullivan said there would absolutely be consequences. Number five, when we asked him for comment on our story, Louis Peng Yu, spokesman for the Chinese embassy in D.C., said China encouraged a peaceful settlement to Ukraine. Some U.S. officials and China analysts say China is putting up a smokescreen to try to appear neutral while siding with Russia. And the last thing that Mr. Wong wrote is this. If China gives substantial military aid to Russia for Ukraine, it would move U.S.-China relations further to a pre-1972 chill. 
The 50th anniversary of Nixon's trip to China was last month, but Russia might insist on aid as its military supplies run low and its army struggles. So again, I think that, you know, we talked about this last week or the week before, and that is the, um, the situation that uh, China with great fanfare we saw them unite with the Russian Navy and sail their ships around Japan, right? Through the, through the I can't remember those straits. They start with a T, right? Yeah, yeah. Talk, 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 talk about that. Straits. Exactly. I, something like that. But um, no, and they were it's just crazy. off the territorial limit, uh, the water's limit of, of, you know, very, so Russia and China at the, at the Olympics, you know, Xi and Putin very publicly. And again, all expectations were what? That Russia would lay the wood to Ukraine, this thing would be over very quickly, yada, yada, yada. Well, um, it doesn't look, the axis of evil does not look so powerful. And again, we've talked about, and I talked about with Grant, the, um, the implications for Taiwan. I think, the, I think the door is closed on Taiwan militarily, personally. I think the example that the Ukrainians have set the, the things that the West has learned. And let me tell you, if you just load Taiwan up with more surface-to-ship missiles, right, with more surface-to-air missiles than any other nation has per capita on the planet, and you allow them to Iwo Jima the shit out of those mountains that they have, right? Yeah. They can defend themselves, right? And then, and then we can, whatever guarantees we have, but if we look at them and say, you've got to fight, and if you'll fight, we'll supply you. I, to me, how, how do you, the water problem is not a small problem. So my own, I, I believe based on what everybody's watched and learned, my own opinion is that door is closed and the Chinese know it. Well, it's certainly closed if Russia ends up going down hard for this, uh, this strategic miscalculation, which kind of speaks to what's going to motivate Z is, 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 playing nice with us as important as making sure Russia doesn't go down completely into the gutter. I, well, I no, don't, and again, I, I don't know. this American effort, that, this American effort today that ties them together, right? Yeah. Yeah. That ties them together is, is going to be problematic for the Chinese. And the more this gets in the news, it is, it is the exact, um, the exact thing that they do not want to um to, to be tarred with and that is a long war lots of civilian casualties right and and them being uh the godfather of the war right um right well yeah and, and oil prices are not helping china not by any stretch of imagination yeah let's talk about but, uh will's not well, let this, me but, ask you a question though yeah. one question though when we say there will be grave consequences against China, what the hell can we do to them that they can in turn do right back to us? No, I, I no, don't we'll, we'll point this out, you know, when we first yeah. began this discussion is that, you right. know, when we talked about how compromised Germany was uh, mm -hmm. relative, relative to its oil um, and energy dependence on, on Russia, right? If, if, the, if they're compromised, what the hell are we with China? And exactly. so, and so really... What this ought to do is is begin the discussion of what sectors of our economy have to be produced by Western democracies and how we begin the process of uncoupling this. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be sweet to hear that as a main source of discussion amongst our political class? 
Well, you know, and again, why would like, why would we not incentivize the production of, of stuff in the Philippines and Vietnam? All these nations that are so strategically important to us. Or, or or even getting some of those rare earth minerals from here because that Kennecott copper mine, which is the largest in the world in Utah, that damn thing is like an environmentalist dream as far as how much they clean the environment and recycle what they what they're pulling out of the earth. And um, and basically, they're putting the mountain back in a pristine environment, natural environment. Nobody can bitch at Kennecott uh, Copper for for destroying the environment. They're actively plowing massive resources to remediate the destruction that 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 extraction of of those um, um, copper and nickel and gold and stuff like that uh, that they get out of that mountain goes. And they're incredibly because I took a tour there once when I lived there. They're incredibly efficient at getting trace amounts of important minerals out of all that rock. So we can be mining for cobalt without having open pits full of little children hauling up baskets of mud. We actually are very, very good at extracting resources without damaging the local environment. And that's something we should be talking about also. But it's we don't. And it's, it's it seems to be a forbidden topic, much as uh, nuclear energy is a forbidden topic. Although one that is a rational topic. The um, let me the, here's a few economic headlines um, for today. Uh, in Will's absence, um, Instagram has officially shut down in Russia after its parent company, Facebook, released a new policy last week, allowing Ukrainian users of Instagram and Facebook to temporarily be allowed to call for the deaths of Russian troops that had invaded their country. Um, <laughs> the Bahamas. What you're now seeing is that um, Russians are finding uh, ways around the sanctions, right? And so mm -hmm. it's nations like the Bahamas, Bermuda, Israel. Um, I can't remember. There was one in the news over the weekend uh, that, you know, all of a sudden we're, you know, getting very active, you know, air routes and things like that. The Bahamas, home to a number of financial services companies, and a tax haven has joined with global sanctions against sanctioned Russian and Belarusian Russian individuals and businesses. Bermuda has revoked licenses on Russian commercial planes, stating that sanctions against Russia make it difficult or impossible to assess the airworthiness of the fleet. Um, reportedly, 745 of Russia's 1,400 planes are licensed in Bermuda for tax avoidance purposes, and this action may make them difficult to operate on international flights. Um, and then Japanese suppliers reportedly offer alternative source of titanium for Airbus and Boeing. The two companies had previously been reluctant to leave the Russian market as Russian titanium was imported for plane construction, but both ultimately suspended operations in Russia and more crucially suspended servicing and supplying spare parts for Russian planes, threatening to make a large fraction of Russia's commercial plane fleet inoperable. Now, and again, these kind of measures, I mean, what? so what you saw was, and, and when you play this game, it's action, reaction, counteraction. So the action is the sanction. The reaction is, okay, who hasn't shut us down yet? What can we flip to them? How do we now use the channels that are open to us to do this? And then stuff migrates there. The counteraction is then financial pressure and phone calls to places like Bermuda, the Bahamas, and other nations that are now all of a sudden finds itself um, uh, the, the path of uh, great traffic 
and to begin to shut those secondary routes down. So, so that's what you're seeing now. The um, yeah, the, but I would I would I would guess that the Bahamas financial sector is thoroughly infiltrated by us due to the war on drugs. If it's not, we're we're worse than inept. So I, mean, I just a little a little thing to keep in the future. I don't I don't know how safe that would be if we wanted to be shitty about it. Well, and and and, and so the economic piece of this, the Russian minister. Timmy and I were talking about this before, before he came on, said that they would be, uh, begin to pay their foreign debt in rubles. <laughs> and, I, and I caustically quipped, what, there's no Confederate currency floating around and to do this? I mean, it's worthless. you mm -hmm. know. And so that's the situation Russia finds itself in. So, so when you look at, at, at the situation Russia finds itself in, is, is um, you have, Things on the battlefield not going well, right? Economically, that folding beginning to, to, to really squeeze the stock market will not open again this week. And then, um, and then in addition to that, you have stories about Vladimir Putin arresting, you know, intelligence officials, military officials. And, and again, I saw, I want to, I thought it was an Institute on City War article about the number of generals that had been fired by him. And so, yeah, I saw that too. Again, um, the question is: in in the not too distant future, would you know? Can the Ukrainian military continue this performance? Because the more they do, the more stress that they put on Russia, they put on Putin, and we will see where this goes. And so, I, I think it's uh, as this thing you know continues to go, it's 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 absolutely fascinating to watch. And again, there's, there's, in, in over the horizon is, is what does the world do with China given China's greater integration, vis-a-vis uh, -vis Russia, um, and when do we begin the dis the discussion of, and this is the economic question, moving to a different source of titanium, comes with a cost, right? Mm -hmm. Different mm -hmm. different manufacturing comes at a cost. So if the only thing, so what we did when we enacted these, you know, treaties and whatnot, is we can get our toilet paper for two dollars cheaper. Okay, so it's going to co come at a cost of Western civilization. Are we going to, or the free nations of the world, are we willing to bear that cost in order to maintain, you know, the uh, the the, the rules based order of the post World War II? World. Well, we're gonna we're gonna find out real quick as gas gas prices continue to skyrocket, bringing everything else with it. Right. We're gonna have a we're gonna get a chance to experience a little bit of history on themselves. But again, yeah. I, as we've talked about that in terms of policy, um, to me, you can say that you don't want to drill and whatnot, but that's that's on the horizon, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe this is just part of a, a political kabuki dance to say, look, we'll we know we have to go there. We'll go there slowly though. And that we will save face politically and, and we can go there as a measure of last resort and blah, 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 blah. Maybe that's the game that gets played because it's, it's simply unavoidable. There is no other path no. to this, right? There yeah, is no and, other and, path. and the Texas No, no, the other path is, is, is relying on OPEC's good grace, right? Oh, to, that's, that's, that, that's, that's, and that's folly. That's absolute folly. So, um, yeah. So, I, yeah, again, and, you're going to go there uh, one way or the other. 
Yeah. And I know in Texas, and I think you've seen a lot more reporting on this, that oil companies, particularly the frackers, are right now making record profits given the price of oil and what have you. They're, 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 their stockholders are happy. They're happy. And they're, they are intentionally not drilling and, and making more money because they don't feel like they're being supported by the administration. There's got to be a reconciliation there and uh, a little bit of laying on the oil producers. Um, and I would start guilting them, you know, to say, hey, look, man, you're just you're just hurting all of us. But we'll have to see if we ever get to that because. The, well, again, the, what we talked about what they need is close. they need legislation that, you know, has a, has a time stamp on it, mm-hmm. say 10 to 15 mm-hmm. years so that they can invest and then recoup. But again, that's going to take you, you know, I don't know. I, the predictions I've seen is once they begin, it's going to take them, you know, 18 months for this stuff to, to pay off. Right. They, and, they, and, and, and so there is no, again, they, the, the only, the only other way that it gets better is OPEC pumps more. They've got leases where they've got a damn good idea of where they've got to go. And I, you know, I, when I was in the trucking industry going out to these frack sites, I've watched how those things go down and they're quite high speed. The thing that's limited to them right now is the qualified personnel to come in and because when you do a frack, you're yeah, but Timmy, all that's as you said earlier, all that's irrelevant because they're not sure that the rules aren't going to change no, and the yeah. money's all the money's all gone. So all those right. all those things solve themselves because let me tell you if you look at alaska airlines traffic those flights are constantly full with people going up um to 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 work in the oil fields okay they come from all over the lower 48 right people under financial duress you can find work up there they pay well those those problems all get solved if you can stabilize the lease problem Right. And, and I, I shouldn't say just the least problem. If you could stabilize the political problem and create an environment where they know that they're going to be able to produce. Yeah. And that's what but, they don't know. Yeah. My, 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 my point was, is you could get a lot of wells producing on a relatively short scale, just a, a couple of weeks. But that's that. But there you go. And, and, and those frackers, when. Who, who is it that does most of them? One of the big, big, at, at any rate, when the frackers come in, that's high-tech dudes. Those aren't out-of-work dudes. Those, those guys are paid extraordinarily well to, to monitor those fracks as they go down. And uh, the mud engineers and all these other high-tech positions, they're out there. But uh, we could be producing very quickly if the environment was right. Well, will you do me a favor? That. I want you to look. I, I want you to, will you pull the string on that? Would you yeah, mind sure. looking at how, because no, I mean, no, you've been I'll in go, that business, but I mean. No, I'll go call up Dave Ainsworth and ask him. I'll get it right from the horse's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I, I would be curious to know that how, how quickly they think that they could impact the bottom line, because what you see from Sunday talk shows is that is not a short-term solution. It's not something that we can even consider because it's simply not there. Well, so that's, if, that's not, so that's and you're, not and what Okay. So if you would, yeah, if you yeah. would footnote that. I, I've 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 been on sites where we've occupied the pad, bought in the rig, and we're producing oil in under 96 hours. Granted, it was a lucky strike. I mean, it wasn't normal, but that's the the, the most of these oil exploration companies. That's what they're aiming for, and they're know enough. But again, what we're talking in, what we're talking about in the country is, you know, OPEC got after the shale business. Okay, they forced right. the price down and forced people because right. shale. 
shale drilling and operations don't get profitable to when I was living in North Dakota, it was over 60 a barrel or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it's closer to 80. Closer right. to 80 is so, it, so you use Tim's number, closer to 80. All right. So um, by driving the price down there and keeping it there for a while, they drove, just drove people out of business. And so let's just say you can turn that back on. Okay. Yeah. But if they don't feel confident that the, the economic, the political and the economic environment is going to stay the way it is, they're not going to. You know, put those uh, yeah. dollars I mean, in, dollars in the ground because those jobs require living on a man camp for at least seven right. days. Right. You know, it's, it's not it's 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 not easy employment and requires skilled guys who are motivated. And those those lease sites are run like a, a you've never. I mean, the thought of even smoking a cigarette on one of them is is like you. No way it's ever going to happen. Let alone alcohol or drugs or shit shit like that. You'd be shocked at. I've, I've seen safety departments roll into a lease site, lock it down, and piss test everybody, everybody that includes a, employees that aren't theirs, contractors. And you've got to submit to that because those are the rules when you're working with companies like that. And um, they are seriously, seriously well-run operations. I mean, they really are. And and I think if more people witnessed what I've seen, they'd be a lot less leery about extracting energy from the ground because I think we're doing it as responsibly as can possibly be done. Well, yeah, much of that rhetoric you hear is, is simply to make political points. Um, let me ask you a question about the Iranian thing in, in Iraq, and then we'll talk about what you're looking for in the next 24 hours. Um, what do you make of that? What is the point of that? Is that, I mean, the, evidently the uh, with Russia's lack of participation, the Iranian agree, uh, nuclear agreement is falling apart. Why would you shoot? <laughs> Why would you shoot missiles, you know, at the United States? I mean, is that just an attention gainer? What the hell is it? Yeah, it, you know, we 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 try to put these things in the contents of rational actors, and and certainly there's plenty of them in Iran. In Iran, I mean, they're not they're they're smart people, but what the hell they're doing with with this? I. I, I I can't speculate because it's not a rational thing to be doing. It invites a retaliation. Perhaps they think they can do this with without facing any retaliations, and that's the entire point. But um, that would be something that would be angled more towards the international market. And Iran, I think, has mostly domestic problems right now. So I'm I'm confused. It does not appear to be a productive strike. Yeah, and let me just tell you, I said this when we talked about the the Scud attacks that killed nobody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look, precision guided munitions are of the nature that if you want to kill people with them, right? If Iran wants to, they can drop it wherever the fuck they want to. So when you don't kill anybody uh, using those things, that is a deliberate decision made by somebody someplace okay because because right. the t- technology exists if you want to fucking do it you can fucking wreck the building okay again anything like the, like the russians just didn't kill live yep yes and so to me uh so this is essentially a fancy noisemaker and what i don't understand about um about our lack of response <laughs> to drone attacks against American forces in Syria that the Israelis warned us about that we didn't that you didn't see anything about you know right. and I don't understand about you know this is it nothing no no response 
You know, uh, the, the proverbial harshly worded statement, is that what we do? Right? And what's it, no, so what's, no, instead, what's it going to take? Is it, we're bending over backwards to help them with their nuclear accords. It yeah. seems to be again, a rather perverse reaction. Well, again, um, weakness begets conflict. And, and, you know, again, it's just very frustrating to watch because we see this over and over and over. So, again, a noisemaker, I would say it's connected to a, an agreement that's falling apart that the Iranians want to see happen because that agreement, will, with that agreement, go, goes, makes economic sanctions goes away, go away. And why this is why why this is the at least some of them go away. Why this is the preferred COA? I'm not exactly sure that somebody thinks this is and, a good thing. And look what's happened now. The, the UAE and Saudi Arabia won't even accept the president's phone calls. Why would that be? <laughs> because we're we're doing exactly what it is they don't want us to do, which is uh, helping Iran out with their uh, nuclear ambitions. I mean, there's consequences of this. It, the thought that a pres that, that that the president's being ignored by Saudi Arabia and UAE, who God knows how many bajillions dollars worth of equipment and stuff we've sold them, true, but uh, get, uh, have hooked them up with, is something that should be a big deal. But it's not a big deal, and you know, yeah. it's just well. Let me just tell you. Lines. Let me just tell you, the idiot who's now in charge of Saudi Arabia. I mean, God help everybody with that guy. Um, yeah. But anyway, okay, uh, relative to Ukraine versus Russia, right, with China looming in the background, uh, what are you looking at? Uh, what are you look at, looking at uh, today in the next 24 hours, Tim? Well, I, I think the only thing that we could that would be meaningful would be a continued hammering at the western part of the uh, of, of the country of Ukraine into those rear areas where their supplies are coming from. That's that's what I would be doing were I the Russians. I'd be trying to nip that at the bud. That's the point of conflict that I think. So, so let me, here's the problem, though, is um, how do you get the targeting data? Because anything that's dynamic, you can't shoot, okay? So the only thing you can shoot is fixed sight stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, don't th I don't think the lack of being able to target dynamically is a retarded on Russians' indirect fire capabilities at all. But, I mean, you can't move an air base. Well, you you can't, can't but if you can't observe the target houses. as it's moving, you know, it is the problem with, you know, it is a problem with those long-range precision-guided fires, is that if yeah. the thing's dynamic, they're not tracking it. They're, they're going to a grid coordinate, right? And right. so you can see, so, so again... Uh, if you want yeah, to shoot, I'm talking it, fixed, fixed right, positions. fixed sites, yeah. shit, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, warehouses, fixed position, train, train, uh, uh, rail yards. That would be, I would be on top of his his list. I would think. Yeah, but Mount, he hasn't hit Mount, any of them. Mount Rushmore, uh, airfields yeah. specifically, airfields and railheads yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so yeah, that, so. so I'd be looking for more targeting of that kind of infrastructure to see how serious they are about that because that's. Uh, you know that 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 would be what I would do were I were I in his unenviable shoes. Right, right. I, I'm I'm curious about again I, when we talked about where we POTUS. Uh, the number one thing I I said was I want to see at the end of this, the United States, right, in a better position vis-a-vis -vis China, uh, our allies in the Western Pacific, understanding it better, China marginalized, and us beginning to have a conversation to yeah, uncouple. So I'm curious. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious like to see what comes out of this the, the Jake Sullivan meeting today, 
and and American rhetoric relative to pinning China to Putin. So I'm kind yeah. of I'm kind of I'm kind of curious to that. And then other than that, I continue on a daily basis, as I said last week, to to watch the Ukrainian military uh, with just incredible admiration. Those cities have not fallen yet, and I mean, think about that: surrounded by or or encircled, either in all or or in some form, uh, by the Russian military with you know all the indirect fire, and the Ukrainians are standing there trading with them. And so I, I don't know that you can't help but respect that. So oh, again, yeah. indications Absolutely. indications that 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 is either going better than anticipated, or it's about to go south. And so look for those tea leaves on a daily basis. But uh, but anyway, well, thank you very much for doing this. Uh, I think Jeffrey, no, Jeffrey will join us tomorrow, and we'll see what Will has has going. But I think he's still traveling. So thank you very much, Tim. No, no worries. Mac, you have a great day, buddy. All right, bud. See you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. That'll do it on a Monday. Thanks for listening. Making uh, Almerin Radio part of your morning. And again, you know, I uh, it's been six years. Uh, it'll be six years in in June, which is hard for me to believe that I've been doing Almerin Radio for that long. And uh, um, and these these discussions, these footnoted discussions with the Mensa brothers and and uh, and Grant and bringing people like that on, um, as well as my work with post traumatic winning, has been you know incredible uh, work for me. So I just want to say thank you for everybody for listening. Uh, the uh, notes that I've received and uh, of support and and all of that and of criticism too so it's all part of it anyway uh, have a great day uh, I'm Mike McMurray this is All Marine Radio as usual if I could help you help somebody in your family please don't hesitate I would love to um, if I can help you help somebody else all the contact information on uh, on the website gets to me personally so please don't hesitate On that note, have a great Monday. I'm out.